This is The Recap, a weekly reflection on the sermons of Fellowship Baptist Church in Mainville, Ohio, seeking to help you make Jesus essential in every aspect of your life. I'm your host this week, Ryan Land, and I'm here with the preacher of this week's sermon, Brett Wilson. Brett, how you doing? I'm doing well, Ryan. And I'm joined also with a special guest. It's the children's minister and my wife, Darcy Land. Hi, Darcy. Hi. Welcome to The Recap. Thanks again. for having me. Welcome back. Welcome back. Always, Second time. Always glad Always glad to have a third person at the table. Uh, so uh, Darcy is a little bit nervous because I have a, uh, a surprise question every week for Britt, and now she's getting surprised as well. But we talked about uh, kind of a theology of the body this week, and so I want to know what's the worst injury you've ever had to physically? To one's body. Not, not an emotional uh, injury. Yeah, yeah. Mm, the worst injury probably um besides having a kidney stone i don't know if that counts as an no injury. not like that not like okay. that so probably i was riding my four-wheeler and okay. i was riding up this giant pile of mulch uh going up and down it several times and one time i got a little too close to the side and the mulch started sliding with my four-wheeler then i flipped off the four you know it rolled and so mm-hmm. i rolled with it and i rolled through a barbed wire fence uh, and when I stood up, I looked down at my arm, by my, my upper elbow, and a lot of meat was hanging out of my arm and blood. And I uh, had to, my buddy ride me home and I came to my mom and said, Mom, I had an accident and I got this giant gash in my arm. And oh, my gosh. We ran, rushed to the prime care to get some stitches. Oh, my gosh. That like that, that was going poorly when the four-wheeler rolled <laughs> yeah. and it got worse. <laughs> what about you, Dars? Um, I was going to say my appendix, but if that doesn't count, um, when I was in the seventh grade, we had a huge ice storm um, in my hometown and we were out of power for seven days. And, um, there was a candle, there were several candles all over our house, but there was a candle that I just kind of like stuck my shirt out over to warm myself (laughs) to capture the heat because I was cold. And, um, long story short, my shirt ended up catching on fire without me really knowing. And I like put my shirt back down and then I was like, oh my gosh, this is actually very, very hot. And so when I lifted my shirt back out, like the flames kind of shot out from under my shirt and my mom had to take a blanket and smother the flames. Oh my gosh. And then, yeah, we went to an urgent care where they were able to take off all the dead skin and <gasps> wrap me up real like nice. on your stomach? On my stomach. There's oh my no burn. gosh. Yeah. Wow. Um, mine is not really as bad as either of y'all's. I don't feel like, but I got hit in the head with a golf club. Oh. Because I, I owed a debt. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, it was like I was like six and me and my cousin were hitting like crab apples with a, a golf club and I was standing too close behind him and he in his backswing. He clocked me right in the head. Did knock you out? I got oh yeah, uncon I got stitches, I was unconscious. Yeah. Wow. It was it was truly wild. Um Okay, well, uh, just just uh, just just warming us up for for the for the topic here. Yeah, uh, and so we talked about First uh, Corinthians uh, six, the end of First Corinthians six, mm-hmm. and Paul is sort of doing a a tee up into First uh, Corinthians seven by by kind of talking about uh, the the body here. So as always, let's just go through those those kind of four main points, kind of dig a little bit. Uh, a little bit deeper uh, on those things. Brent, anything generally about the sermon uh, that you wanted to hit on before we before we go straight to these points? Well, I guess I would say, you know, the 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 there is a theology of the body in the text. However, the main way Paul's applying that is to a sexual ethic, right? Mm-hmm. His main point is uh, don't have sex with someone who's not your spouse. Uh, and because of all of these reasons that are theology of the body, mm-hmm. because it was family Sunday, we had all the kids in the room. Uh, I focused on the theology of the body part, mm-hmm. kind of hinted at the, you know, sexual ethic, yeah. uh, but mostly talked about theology of the body and kind of some other implications Paul wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily making in that text. Um, and so just to say the main point here is, is a sexual ethic and what the Christian sexual ethic is. Uh, but we focused on the theology of the body. So especially because seven is yeah, also we're, we're about talking that. about sex for a while. Um, and so, and, and so I think it's okay to kind of, this is like, you know, sort of groundwork for what's coming yeah, yeah. Uh, after, because 
uh, Paul, you know, hits on this for a while. And I think you reference this in your sermon, right? But he's like, there's these quotes. Uh, I was mm-hmm. going to, I was going to ask you about this. Do you think he's quoting? Uh, so in, in seven, he starts the, uh, first Corinthians seven starts. He's like now concerning the things you wrote to me. Uh-huh. And so it's like, obviously there's been a correspondence here. And so there's these quotes earlier at the end of six, uh, do you think those are quotes from that letter or could they be quotes from the letter that the Corinthians sent to Paul? I guess is what I'm, I'm asking. Oh, it's, it's a certain possibility. Um, we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Short answers. We don't know. Um, could, could certainly possibly very probably be from that letter. Um, or it could just be what he's heard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, and we, what we don't know is they've sent a letter to Paul, but also mm-hmm. he's heard from Chloe's people. Oh yeah. And so that could be a separate letter. It could have been a messenger. Mm-hmm. So he's also heard things from them. So it could yeah. also be from that. Uh, just cause I think one of the things that Paul really goes after the Corinthians for is sexual immorality. And yeah. so that's why there's a large chunk of the, the book dedicated to it. And so it's not random. It's cause there's, it's rampant in their there's church. There's some issues. Yeah, there's some there's some issues there. All right. Well, then let's uh, let's talk about let's talk about our bodies. Um, yeah. Uh, resurrection. Let's talk about the resurrection of the body. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's really the first thing uh, he throws out there. Uh, first kind of point about why the body is important. Um, and so you know, verse fourteen says, "And God raised the Lord, who is Jesus, and will also raise you." Um, so here's, I want to kind of throw it back at you guys. When is the first time in your life that you began or were taught or understood that the end of the world wasn't heaven, but was a resurrected body and a new creation, new heaven and new earth? When did you learn that? Darcy? Um, I mean, I think that I probably learned it in youth group. I think that you were probably the first. Because you had a great youth pastor. I did. For our listeners who don't know, Brent. Brent was my youth pastor. Um, but yeah, she I also think had a that, very humble one. <laughs> I think that that was the first time that I understood that. Um, I mean, it's interesting because I, I mean, I was saved at nine, so I understood then that Jesus was resurrected. Yeah, his physical body was resurrected, and all of those things. But I think that um, I thought we would, yeah, live in heaven and mm-hmm. be floating around and all the things that people tend to typically think until probably around high school ish years. Yeah. I was, I was definitely like in my, you know, I was a, I was an upperclassman in high school. I was either okay. a junior or a senior Okay. before, uh, before I kind of made that, had that understanding of the new heavens and the new earth being physical. Yeah. I thought, I thought eternity was, was a spiritual. Mm-hmm. I thought we'd be kind of, yeah. kind of like ghosts. Yeah, yeah, translucent yeah. ghosts. Yeah, yeah. I was in college. Mm. I was in Bible college. Um, <laughs> a professor said that, and it was well, like I don't even remember. Scratch. I don't remember. It, it may have been from uh, Brady. Shout out two weeks okay. in a row. Uh, your youth pastor, my roommate, or it could have been. From, I'm not sure, but uh, certainly it was in college when I. It was around NT Wright. Oh, uh, and okay. when, when people started talking about NT Wright and his understanding of of Paul and and justification, mm-hmm. and then downstream from that. Um, uh, new heavens and new earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was uh, a big late in the game kind of change for me. Uh, but I want to ask you this question. What do you guys think uh, attributes mostly to our false understanding of heaven being the eternal resting place and also being this ethereal, shadowy, mystical place? What do you think attributes why do we all, I mean, because Christians by and large, I think we would agree, mostly a picture heaven as that way and not a physical resurrected real place. And so what do you think has led to well, that? Well, one, I think I think heaven is a spiritual reality, right? The, you're saying currently? The current heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, um, that, that's all. That's that's forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I'd have, I'd have to go. I'd, I'd be curious to see how this is taught, like in the Roman Catholic church, like in the, in the uh-huh. like 10th, 11th, 12th century. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what is, you know, kind of reclaimed about that, that view in the reformation, mm-hmm. uh, because yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, 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 one, it feels like 
it's not the thing when, when we talk about eschatology or like the end of the world or whatever, mm-hmm. it's not the thing we focus on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, we focus on all the other stuff. Uh, and all the stuff we're not sure about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All the, all the vague stuff. And, uh, so, and, and, and I don't know, it's just, I think because when we're alive, what we think so much about is what's going to happen when I die. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think it's like, well, when you die, you go to heaven and be like, all right, well, that's good enough for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think that is definitely part of it. I think that we have a short sighted view of eternity um, because it's something that we really can't wrap our heads around, you know what I mean? Like time without limits and mm. without bounds. And so, you know, recently we were at a funeral for my uncle and he is a believer, um, knows the Lord. And it's like, what we're thinking about is him being with the Lord now, which mm. is a true reality, but we weren't thinking about his resurrected body and all of those things. So I think mm. that it can, that some of it just comes with our personal experiences with death, right? Mm. So when someone dies in our life, and they're with the Lord. We know that they're in heaven with the Lord, but we don't think about when the Lord returns. But I also think that there are like songs and things historically that we've mm-hmm. sung that point to that reality or that not the reality, the heaven being forever mm-hmm. reality. And like, um, like I had a professor in college that went on a tirade about the song I'll fly away. I was literally just saying, it's like, we oh. need like a secret fifth <laughs> verse yeah. of I'll fly away. It's like, I'll fly I'm, back. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm coming back. Oh, yeah. glory. Yeah. Yeah. So I think yeah. that plays into it too. Yeah. yeah. No, I certainly think the song thing is true. Like I was even thinking about, um, um, uh, what's the song? Uh, Jesus paid it all. And there's uh-huh. a line in the verse that says, uh, uh, Jesus died my soul to save. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Um, which, you know, discounts the body. Yeah. And then we sing so many songs, particularly old hymns about uh, there's a mansion for me in glory. Oh, right? yeah. well, it's over the hilltop. It's out there. It's mm-hmm. up in heaven that I'm waiting for this mansion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not a lot of songs about um, being raised from the dead and, mm-hmm. and these yeah. things. And so I think it's something that at some point in history was was lost. Mm-hmm. And it is now being reclaimed. And we're like, oh, we're all kind of catching back up. Um so I think, so I think it's a good thing. Um, the other thing I think contributes to it is cartoons. Oh, for sure. Like I think about Looney Tunes growing yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Taught me so much of what I believed about heaven. Yeah, like, <laughs> like Bugs Bunny's like got... Like, yeah, he dies and he like and... Fl- gets angel wings and flies up <laughs> yeah, to heaven. Yeah. And he's like got a harp and, and right? Like that's my that was my picture for so yeah, long. for sure. And, and other cartoons. Yeah. And so I think media plays mm-hmm. into our view of so much theology, um, mm-hmm. but particularly this, that we believe and we take in without actually critically thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We just accept it. Yeah. Um, I, right. I don't know if you remember this, Darcy, but uh, we had a girl in our youth group who, we, I don't even remember what the lesson was on, but she gave some answer uh, and it was Rachel Coleman. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll, shout, shout out, Rachel. shout out Rachel Coleman. And she said, she learned whatever the answer was from Bruce Almighty. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. That's good. And so we had to have a, a conversation about how like, that's not where we're getting our theology from. That's hilarious. Uh, and so she was young at the time, but yeah. that's so funny. Bruce, Al- Bruce Almighty. Um, Darcy, what do you think? And, and, and this is kind of like a little bit about the whole sermon, but what can parents, I think specifically teach to kids when it comes to this, you know, like their, their physical body is what is, is, is their eternal home, right? That they're going to, uh, if, if they come to know the Lord, uh, that, they're not going to end. The story is not over with them as some floating ghost, but it's, it's actually them and their body that they're in right now. Yeah, I think a couple of things. Um, I think that you should teach children. We should teach children um, to honor our bodies. Sorry, my Siri was going off. We should teach them to honor their bodies. And so um, whatever that looks like in what we eat, how we move our bodies, mm-hmm. Um, how we speak about our bodies, how we think about our bodies. Um, I think all of that is really important in the sense of honoring our physical body and an understanding of like, God doesn't make mistakes. Right. And so he created you, you bear his image. Mm -hmm. Um, and so not only do we want to honor that because it's an eternal reality, but we want to honor God in how he has created us because we believe that he has done that and it's good and for his glory. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also think that a big way that like will probably come into potentially more of your daily conversations that you would have with children is teaching them to long for something better, 
And so Mm. when they're sick and their bodies are experiencing the realities of a broken world and a fallen world, what you can say to them is, but one day, if you're in Jesus, right? We want to be very clear about that. But one day, if you're in Jesus, we can look forward to our day where our bodies won't ache anymore and we won't get fevers anymore. And people we love won't die anymore from cancer and things like that. So I think that you can take the brokenness of of the world and the brokenness that our bodies and other people's bodies experience and teach them to long for the resurrected body. Mm-hmm. One That's of the good. things people don't, I don't think always make this connection is when during Jesus' ministry, when he's healing people, a lot of times I think we just assume that, oh, that's him proving that he is who he said he oh, is. Oh, no, yeah. But it's but it is that, but it, it is also him foreshadowing yeah. in my kingdom there's no blindness. Yeah. In my kingdom there's no leprosy. In my mm-hmm. kingdom there's no death. And so he's reversing the curse in these little small pockets yeah. through these miracles, proclaiming the future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think and this is something we talked, Brent, you hit on in the sermon was that there's the, um, I can't remember like the super technical term for it, but it's like, you know, there's, you can believe that we're uh, in three parts. We're mind, body, soul. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can believe that we're in two parts, right? We're a body and a soul or that we're one holistic thing, mm-hmm. right? We're a body and a soul and a mind all yeah. interconnected. One cannot coexist or one cannot exist independently the without the other. And I think the, uh, there's a, you know, when it comes to talking about the body, the large cultural narrative right now is no one talks about the soul really, mm-hmm. but there's an internal reality mm. that is true. That is real. And the external realities can be changed or adapted to fit the internal. Mm-hmm. And so you think, so you think about, about homosexual lifestyles, you think about transgenderism is actually, buying into this dual dualism, dualism dual nature, of, yeah. of I have a soul that does that is that is not uniquely aligned with my body. Right. Uh and and that I need to change the body to fit my soul, my interior reality. Yeah. Uh when when as or in the past we would have said uh if 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 the external things do not match the the internal reality uh, I need to change the something internally is messed up that mm-hmm. I need to change. Uh, but but the Christian message is actually neither of those, and it says no, it's one thing, right? Mm-hmm. Your your internal life and the external the external realities of how you interact with the world are united. Yeah, and and God made them specifically uh, in, in this way, you know, linked together. And mm-hmm. so I think it's. When you're having conversations with your kids about their about their bodies and about their feelings, right, and and linking those things and saying these these things are not incongruent, they they are congruent, uh, is super important when it comes to how we talk about specifically about gender mm-hmm. when they're teenagers. Mm-hmm. No, I definitely agree with that. Um, and and they're both fallen, they're mm-hmm. both broken, but they're yeah, broken yeah. together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so as we're realigning, we're not realigning one to the other. We're realigning both to God. Mm-hmm. Calibrating, right? Calibrating. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, That's good. Um, so yeah, I just think this whole idea of our bodies are going to be raised from the dead um, is a forgotten thing that has, as Paul's making here, has present day application to mm-hmm. how we're going to think about mm-hmm. our bodies. Um, but it's just such a big deal. And and you know, here here I'm going to speculate because none of us really know, but mm-hmm. Jesus is right now in heaven physical. Yeah. Right? And so... I leaned over to Darcy during your sermon and asked, is Jesus the only physical thing in heaven? Well, I mean, he's sitting on a throne. I, I guess. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and so it's like, I'm not... you know, heaven, It's a spiritual throne. Yeah. Well, heaven seems to be like almost in a different plane of existence or something. Yeah. Like it's not up. Right? Um, and so... He's physical there. When he, when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration and he brings Elijah and Moses back, they're in bodies. They're, I mean, the disciples look at him and know, oh, that's Elijah, Maybe. that's Moses. Maybe. Well, they don't touch him. They don't touch him. They build them little houses. No, they ask if we can. Well, they, they, they want to. Yeah, they want to build houses. Yeah, yeah. I think that I, I, I get what you're saying, but it's like I think the you know Jesus comes back and is touched like is touchable, and he yeah, eats yeah, 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 right, yeah. and he, uh, and so it's like he's without a doubt physically resurrected yeah yeah, yeah. yeah um so i just like and when we die and go to heaven 
we're obviously not in this body because this body's in the ground, but mm-hmm. there, there seems to be some support that we might have a, some kind of temporary yeah. body. Or there's some way we we interact with the external world that mimics a, a mm-hmm. physical body or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Or you're just asleep the whole time until Jesus comes back. Or you're asleep. Blink of an eye. Boom. Nah, Resurrection. I, I actually don't think that's true. But, but some people um, do. I know some people do, but I, I think they're wrong. Uh, <laughs> um, I just don't think the Bible supports it. Yeah. But uh, uh, Brett, you've, you've got here to talk about about heaven by Randy Alcorn. Do you want to just give that a shout out? Yeah, or? like uh, really two resources probably if you want to dig more into this. Uh, the first is Randy Alcorn's hev- book. It's called Heaven. Um, easy to remember. Yeah, easy to remember. It deals with a lot of this. But also anything by N.T. Wright that would be about the subject. He's a little mm-hmm. more academic, can be. Um, and I can't remember all his book titles, but he's, he, several books that would address mm-hmm. this. And so you can look up N.T. Wright. And uh, I think it's called maybe The Resurrection, mm-hmm. according to Paul. I think it's like huge. I think that, yeah, that one's big, but there's a smaller one. So okay. there's a lot of books. But yeah. N.T. Wright uh, would also talk about some of these things. And so, um, but recommend that to you. All right. And okay, since we're talking about books about heaven. Oh, you got one? Let me just, let me just get on a little bit of a soapbox. Oh, I've never seen you be on a no soapbox. One, no one goes to heaven and comes back. so if you see a book or a movie or something about a person that goes to heaven and then comes back to talk about it, they're lying (laughs) or they hallucinated or like, what about about Lazarus? Uh, I don't know what happened to Lazarus, but he didn't write a book. So that's all I'll say. I think they're super unhelpful. If you want to know about heaven, read the Bible. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, that's what I'll say. Um, all right. Let's talk about union with Christ. Well, I was, I, I, mean, oh. I, I agree with you. And you know, the Bible says no one has ascended, or no one has descended except, or uh, I can't remember. No one has ascended except he has descended. Only Jesus has come from yeah, heaven yeah. to tell us about it. Basically. Yep. Um, there is this idea that, uh, in Jewish culture, we talk about like the, the spirit is with the body for three days and, or something like that's that. where Lazarus was. Yeah, he yeah. was with his body. Yeah, yeah. just hang, hang, <laughs> hovering around it. I don't know, but um, but heaven is for real. I'm gonna call out the book. Don't read it. Not good. Don't don't. There's, mul- it. there's multiple. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to. I could not let the moment pass to, no, yeah. to warn people about that stuff. Uh, okay, let's talk about uh, a a beautiful doctrine of union with Christ. Yeah. Also, a doctrine that I was never taught about or understood mm-hmm. until Bible college, uh, but one that I think every Christian should understand. Um, so uh, I think that one of the best biblical illustrations would be, I don't remember if I use this in the sermon or not, but when um, Jacob is trying to deceive his father, uh, Isaac, about being Esau, he puts on him, he dresses up like Esau, basically, uh, and puts his father's blind. He puts goat skin on his hands, and so his father, when he touches him, wears his clothes. Uh, yeah, he wears his clothes. Yeah. Smells him. He thinks he's Esau because Jacob has put on Esau, mm. and so now everything that is seemingly true about Esau has become true of Jacob because because Isaac has given the blessing of Esau to Jacob. In the same way, when we are in Christ, the re- the reason Paul uses that language of you are in Christ. You have put on Christ or you are clothed in Christ, he uses all those, is because we just had Halloween. It's like we've dressed up like Jesus. And so that everything that's true about Jesus is now true about us. Mm. We've put him on. We're inside him. Uh, We have union with him. We're one flesh with him. Uh, And so everything that's true about him is true about us. He was tempted by the devil and did not sin. We were tempted by the devil and did not sin. He was crucified and paid the penalty of, of of as a sinner, we've been crucified been, and justice has been paid. We've paid it in Christ. That's what Galatians 2.20 says, for I have been crucified in Christ. And now it's not I who live, but Christ in me. And so I just think this idea that Jesus is a son, you're a son. Uh, he is righteous, you're righteous. Uh, he is an inheritance, you have been inheritance. Everything's true about him is true about you because you're in him, you're united to him. Um, and so that's just a, that's just something I didn't understand for a long time. And so I think it's super helpful. Um, well, and I think that to carry that illustration out a little bit further, because it can, the doctrine of union with Christ can be complicated because while what Bryn just said is true, 
It's also kind of not true because it's like, I can't be crucified for my own sin, right? Like there are all these complexities to it. And so I'm I'm not righteous. Yeah. Like going back to the Jacob and Esau story. But the reality is, is that Jacob, no, that Jacob's father saw him as, or didn't see him, but thought he was Esau. Right. Mm -hmm. And so even though Jacob in the story is not Esau. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that is how the father sees him. Mm -hmm. And so similarly, we're not Jesus, right? right. But that's how the father, God, the father sees us. Things Um, are becoming true of us, even though they're not actually true. Yes, exactly. While we're sinners, we get, and we get to be righteous because of our union with Christ. Because what's true of him has become true of us. Yes. It's been credited to us. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, And I think that's got, you know, tons of of implication Mm -hmm. not just for salvation but for how we think and how we speak and how we uh how we treat uh one another right how we treat ourselves uh how we treat our church and so uh that's something you can go sit and ponder (laughs) think about and and dwell on for um a long time, yeah. right? It's got so many. When the way and the way Paul is applying it here mm-hmm. is particularly to it, it's almost the reverse of what we're saying. Yeah, it's that don't sleep with the prostitute or someone not your wife, even because when you anytime you have sex with somebody, you have become one flesh with them. Mm-hmm. And when you do that with someone's not your wife, you are uniting that person back to Christ mm-hmm. because you're union with Christ somehow becoming one flesh with this person unites them to Christ in a way that's not true of them. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, it's a lie. Um, and so Paul's even applying it that way. Do you, do you think that that an implication of that verse is that when we, when we sin, uh, and, and I, Paul's point is specifically, he talks about, you know, when you sin other ways, uh, it's internal, but when you sin against your body, mm-hmm. it's, it's worse. I can't, I can't remember the verse right off the top of my head. Um, but do you think that there's implications for other physical, when we, when we physically sin with our bodies, when we get drunk, when we, uh, uh, you know, any form of sexual immorality, right? When we, is, is that a, a breach of, of our union with Christ? Uh, uh, depends on what you mean by breach. I think what it's doing is it is. In the same way that Jesus is saying something about us that's not true mm-hmm. because of our union with him in a positive sense, mm-hmm. when we do something sinful with our bodies, we are saying something true of something that's not true of Jesus with our bodies. Mm-hmm. We're misrepresenting him um, through our union. It's because it's like if I, it's almost like, you know, being in Christ, well, I've dressed up like him. Mm-hmm. And now I'm going around dressed up like Jesus living in a way that Jesus wouldn't live. And so mm-hmm. it is making a mockery of him because I'm one flesh with him. And so mm-hmm. um, what I am saying is true is actually not true of him. Mm-hmm. I think that's really the issue. Yeah. But but only sexual sin? No, or? Not anything. Anything. Uh, I, I think what his point here when he talks about is every other sin is outside of the body. Sexual morality is you're sinning against your own body is what he says. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess my question is, are there other sins that are against your own body? Yeah. Anything that would be, I think, like you said, drinking, okay. um, cutting. Uh, any self-harm yeah anything physical yeah um could be a yeah for sure okay that's that was kind of the 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 heart of my question yeah do you think that it can be said so if someone is um maybe sinning against themselves in their thoughts or or something like that 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 would be in the same category of saying like we should not think negatively that could lead to action, right? Mm-hmm. Because like, number one, we're created by God. We bear his image, all those things. But we also, if we're in Jesus, we have this union with Christ. And so anything we're thinking about ourselves could be misinterpreted as thoughts about Jesus or or we're not having a an understanding that sinks deep into who we are, that we are united with Christ. So that should change our thinking of ourselves. Yeah, what I hear you saying is if, if I look in the mirror and say I'm ugly, is that a sin against my own body? And I would say it is in the sense that if I do something to you, I'm sinning against you. Yeah. If I do something against my body, I'm sinning against my own body. Yeah. So I think, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I, I do think what you're saying is the remedy to that is not just like body positivity. Yeah. Right? The the remedy to that is understanding that 
your body is it's theological uniquely made yeah and also united to christ if you are if you are in christ right that you have become one flesh Mm -hmm. and so it's not just like celebrate me and my you know originality but it's like there is a transcendent reality that your body is united with the creator yeah because i think i think to do the first thing you said is to try to find that positivity in a worldly standard Mm -hmm. versus Mm -hmm. finding that positivity in a theological standard yeah and what we're not trying to say is oh you need to make sure that you are celebrated in a way that the world celebrates, but rather mm-hmm. celebrated in a way that God celebrates. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And because the cultural targets move, moves, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's, what's, what's culturally celebrated as beauty or body positive or whatever you want to say is a moving target. Mm-hmm. And the theological target has been the same for ever. I was going to say 2,000 years, but yeah, forever, because yeah. this goes all the way back to the garden. Yeah. So, yeah, I, sure. think, I, think that's, I think that's helpful to think about. Um, Darcy, I think you talked about this. Yeah. This, you wrote down so this book. So I yeah. um, just wanted to recommend a resource. I'll be honest, I have not read this book, but several um, theologians and Bible teachers that I respect who recommended it and Tim Keller blurbs on it. So I think that I can oh, it's good. go I'm ahead. Sold. <laughs> but it it's already is, in my cart. Um, Union with Christ by Rankin Wilborn. Um, and I think it's a shorter book. It's not very long. And I do think that, like Ryan said earlier, this is just a beautiful doctrine that changes the way that we live. And so when we have an understanding of our union with Christ, um, that will not only change our love for the father, for who Christ is and what he's done for us, but it'll also change our worship of him. Um, so that's great. All right. I, I, I was, I was hoping you would talk about this in the sermon I, because, I because you did it. We can talk about it here, but, uh, this, is this, this text is an, or this part of, First Corinthians, an oft-cited uh, uh, argument to not get tattoos. Yeah, uh, you know, he says, "Do you not know that your 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 body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Your yeah. body is a temple." Uh, and so we don't have to get on the tattoos thing immediately, but talk about you know our bodies are a temple, uh, and what implication does that have mm-hmm. for for how we treat our bodies? Well, our body's been a temple. I think, you know, I said in the sermon that God has lived in many places. He's lived in the Garden of Eden. He's lived in heaven, obviously. He's lived in the tabernacle, the tent, the temple. Um, he's lived in Jesus in a sense, right? That Jesus is the presence of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now he lives in us. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ has dwelled in us, made his residence in us. And so uh, we are temples. Um of the Holy Spirit. And that means our bodies are important. They're valuable. And so valuable that God would live in them. Uh, so then the question becomes, what are the implications of that? Um, I think in the most general sense, it means our bodies matter. They're mm-hmm. important. They're valuable. Um, I don't think it means don't get your ears pierced. I don't think it means, uh, you know, don't cut your hair or shave your beard or, you know, don't get a tattoo. So let's just dive into the tattoo thing. I don't. So the other place people would cite is in the Old Testament that God commands his people not to mark or uh, cut their bodies mm-hmm. um, because they are to be different and separated from the world. Uh, and so the other nations were tattooing themselves and cutting themselves, but those tattoos and cutting cuts were in worship to their idol. Mm-hmm. Right, and so it was a a, a theological reasoning. Uh, don't go do this like they do. Um, now, also, we would believe. Uh, so, not only is a tattoo today not not necessarily serving some other god, uh, but also we believe that the Old Testament laws have mostly ceased. We, if you, there are really three categories of Old Testament laws. You got the moral law, the ceremonial law, and the civil law. And so the civil laws that govern Israel and then the ceremonial and sacrificial laws uh, are all gone. All mm-hmm. is left is the moral laws. Mm-hmm. So that's nine of the Ten Commandments. Don't, don't murder, don't steal, don't, don't lie, those kinds of things. Uh, and this uh, tattoo situation would, would not fall under that moral category. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, and then also uh, I would say uh, Jesus seemingly has a tattoo when he returns. <laughs> Um, he's has on his thigh written. His name is written on his thigh. It, written Alpha and Omega. Yeah. Um, uh, and there's another place, uh, 
that, that, that God talks about how he's written his name, our names on his hands or something like that. Another kind of reference to a tattoo of God. Um, and so I just don't think there's moral significance toward marking your body. Um, mm-hmm. um, and so you should have the freedom and Christian liberty to get tattoos. My two cents. Hear, hear. I, <laughs> hear, I, really, hear. I really have nothing to add. Um, Darcy, specifically thinking about, about kids, um, a lot of whom are not saved, uh, you know, uh, how, how does this, uh, you know, truth that they're bought that, that maybe you, the parent, you know, your body is a temple of the Holy spirit, but your child's is not your children's bodies are not, uh, how does that one help you in your, uh, evangelizing them, you're teaching them. And then how does it help you teach them about kind of the, the importance of, of their body kind of similar to that first question? Yeah. So I think that, um, just for starters, I think that it is really important. Um, especially as I would, I would make the generalization that maybe females can struggle with this a little bit more than males, but that might not be true. Is like this idea, uh, like that your body is a temple of the Holy spirit. And so that leads us to, you know, certain diet habits or certain eating habits or a Daniel fast. Yeah. <laughs> whatever, whatever you might have, which are not necessarily bad things in and of themselves. But I don't think that similarly to what Brent was saying is we should take issues that are not moral in nature and make them moral in nature. Um, so one just like really practical thing, and this a little bit goes back to the doctrine of union with Christ as well, but the reality is, is that if you're in Christ, God cannot love you any less and he cannot love you anymore. Mm. Um, you already have all of his love. Um, and so there's no amount of dieting or fasting or tattoo getting or not tattoo getting or hair dyeing or not hair dyeing or fill in the blank, whatever it is that is going to make God love you anymore or make God love you any less. And, um, I think that that is a really important reality to also teach your kids. And so as parents, you have this unique, um, responsibility and ability to, um, show them what, God the Father is like through your relationship with them. And so I think that it is really important to help them understand that there is nothing that they can do that is ever going to make mommy and daddy love them any less or any more. And I think that a lot of times parents will understand the idea of there's nothing that they can do um, to make us love them any less. Like that was something that my parents and I have good parents, but my parents said a lot to me was like, there's nothing you can do to make me love you any less. But I think that I thought that there was stuff that I could do that would make them love me more. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and by no fault of their own, just in turn, I often have, um, a similar relationship to God, the father, that there are more good works that I could do or things that I should abstain from or X, Y, and Z Mm -hmm. that would make God love me more. And so I think that helping kids understand that, for the most part, right, outside of what we've already said, sexual sin, sin against the body, sin against somebody else's body, there are these things that should not be made moral in nature mm-hmm. because they're not going to change God's position or disposition to you. Yeah. Now, I'm curious about your thoughts on this, Darcy. Like, uh, while there's nothing that's going to make God love me more or less, there does seem to be things that make him uh, grieved or pleased with our behavior and the love that, that you were just talking about should be the motivation for living a life that is pleasing to God. Right. But just like a parent, if my kid is doing horrible things, I love them the same, but I am grieved that they are living in a way that is destroying their life. And if I'm running around gossiping and lying and hurting people like that is, that doesn't please God. It grieves his heart and he doesn't want us to live that way. You'd agree with that? No, for sure. I would agree with that. How how maybe do we talk about that with our kids? Yeah. And I think that, um, like our hearts are just so, um, fragile in this sense. It's like, I think it's Tim Keller. 
Probably. Maybe not. That says like um, our greatest desire is for someone to fully see us and fully love us, mm -hmm. right? And so even as adults, right, like we crave that. We crave to like for someone to know every single terrible thing that we've ever done and also to say like, but I love you still. Mm -hmm. And so I think that helping kids understand like there are certainly consequences for sin, yeah. right? There are consequences for sin. There are consequences for um, behaviors like parents have rules in their homes, right? Um, but consequences don't change the love. Mm. And... Um, and that's hard, especially for little kids to understand, right? Because consequences often feel like separation mm. um, from potentially being like set apart from the family. But I think the reality is, is that to have an understanding that like a consequence of sin is being separated from God. Right. Mm. And so that that's a real reality um, that I think that we should be upfront about. Um, but God also longs for us to come to him, right? For us to put our faith in Jesus and to be restored back to him. Um, so I think that that is also an important component of, of that as well. And just not equating being pleased with something as loving it. Yeah. yeah there's right. A distinction. Is yeah. that, is that yeah. disconnecting those ideas mm. that I can be sad for you or, or upset about the, the decision you made and still love you. Mm -hmm. And I think also helping kids understand from an early age that consequences are often also built out of love. Love. And so it's actually yeah. most loving for parents to discipline mm -hmm. um, in the same way that the Bible says that God disciplines us out of his love. Yeah, for sure. That's good. Um, yeah, I was just, I think that, that idea, I think it's really great what you said about uh, earlier, you know, that sometimes I think we think about that our temp our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit puts a lot of pressure on us. Yeah. It's like, oh, well then I got to work out three times a day. It's like, I want to, I want these, you read those things about how great the temple was and God <laughs> dwelt there and how great the tabernacle was, all that gold and frills and, you know, yeah. uh, velvet and whatever. And it's like, well, I got to make my body, uh, you know, super great. So, so the, the Holy Spirit, you know, wants mm -hmm. to live there, you know, I'm honoring, uh, God with how physically fit or whatever my body is. Uh, and just to say that, Hey, God has already chosen your body mm -hmm. to be his dwelling place. You don't have to make it any more attractive. You don't have to make it any more, um, alluring or honoring to God. Yeah. Um, and honestly, it's more about the, the righteousness of a life than it is the physical yeah. look of your body. And so like you, you read in the Bible where it says, put on, patience mm -hmm. put on the you know the breastplate of righteousness all these things put on whatever you know attribute not go make sure you wear your best clothes to church mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. not make sure you put on the best haircut or, or, or when Paul's like, um, uh, while physical fitness is of some value, yeah. the training in godliness is of value in every way. Yeah. 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 So uh, just, I thought it was an inter interesting thing to think about is like, what, what is it, what does it say to our kids? What do we say to our kids when we, when we say our, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? And I also think too, just as one last side note on this is, um, a lot of times I think parents can get focused on the words that they're actually saying to their children. Um, but I often will tell parents that more is caught than taught. And what I mean by that is what you're saying about yourself, what you're saying about food, what you're saying about mm -hmm. the gym, what mm -hmm. you're saying about someone else's clothes or haircut or whatever. Yeah, Those are the really things good. that they're going to take to heart mm -hmm. as um, what they what they believe. So yeah. I would also just guard yourself in that um, and not just necessarily what you're explicitly teaching your kids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You may say, do as I say, not as I do, but they'll always do as you do. Yeah. Not as you say, for sure. Um, well, then let's talk about this kind of last thing, and it's, I think it's a great wrap-up point. Is that the the last thing Paul lands on is that the reason we should honor God with our bodies is because we were bought with a price. Yeah, uh, and you know, so Paul's just circling back to the gospel. Mm -hmm. uh, a body was broken so our bodies could be made whole. Mm -hmm. Jesus became a body. He became a human. He took on flesh, um, and his flesh was broken so that our broken flesh might be made whole. Yeah, uh, and so. There is this real sense in which we belong to God. He has paid for us. Mm. We, uh, Paul goes as far as to say we are his slaves mm -hmm. or the doulos. You know, he says Paul and Paul. Says, That's Greek. Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> uh, Ryan's in Greek class right now. He's fresh. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, we are slaves of Christ. And great thing that the one who owns us uh, is the, you know, 
most loving person in the world, mm-hmm. right? Um, we have a very negative view of slavery. Um, Paul doesn't mean it that way, but we've been purchased. Our debt has been paid. We've been purchased and set free in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're slaves of Christ. He belongs to us. And so it's like we should live to serve our master. Yeah. It's Which, which catechism is it that begins, uh, what's your only hope in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul. Uh, uh, I mean, New, Ke- New City Catechism does it, but also I think, it, I think it's originally from the Heidelberg. Heidelberg, okay. Um, but it's like, what is your only hope mm-hmm. in life and death? That I'm not my own. Yeah. It's like yeah. Countercultural. I actually think the Heidelberg, it, it is, what is your only comfort? Or what is your only comfort? And so that is also this other reality of not just an abstract, but we can often think in hope, but comfort is very real and yeah. tangible. So... It's hmm. good. Yeah, that's really, I mean, that's pretty simple. It's just the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus didn't come to die to save our souls. He came to die to save us, mm-hmm. all of us. Mm-hmm. Heart, soul, body, strength, mind, all of it. Um, uh, the last thing I'd want to say uh, is, you know, there's a lot of implications for that. We can talk for a long time. I, I listened mm-hmm. for, um, but this beginning idea where you talked at the beginning about this quote, of all things are lawful for me. Mm-hmm. And then he quotes again, food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food. Um, these quotes, and it's like Paul quotes it and then rebukes it. Mm-hmm. If you don't understand that that's a quote, it really changes how you read that. Um, and I didn't know it until I studied this passage. Uh, and so it really helps you understand what what's going on here. Um, and this idea that, so he says, all things are lawful for me, right? That means I can, I'm free. I can do anything is what they're saying. And then he's saying, uh-uh, you know, uh, food is meant for the stomach and stuff is meant for food. Basically, they're saying, listen, the body doesn't matter. God's going to destroy mm-hmm. it all anyway. So let's do whatever the heck we want to do. Yeah. The idea is we are free to do whatever we want. And Paul's rebuttal to that is, yeah, you're free, but doing those things aren't necessarily helpful. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're free, but look, I'm not going to be dominated by anything. And man, there's a mm-hmm. whole sermon in here in and of itself because sin always dominates. Sin mm-hmm. enslaves mm-hmm. us. And so while you are free to go sleep with the prostitute, you have the freedom and the ability to go do that. Mm-hmm. You will then become a slave to that thing. And so really the idea here is, is it either you can be a slave to God, the one who's purchased you, or you can be a slave to sin. Um, but you will be enslaved to something. Mm-hmm. But do you want to be enslaved to the all to the one who loves you and gave his life for you? Or do you want to be enslaved to the one that wants to destroy you? Uh, and so the idea here is, is that we think joy and be is found in living out my freedom. I can do whatever I want. If you put any limitations on me, then then you know, I'm I'm going to buck against those and I want freedom because we think mm-hmm. joy and beauty is found in I can do whatever I want. But mm-hmm. the Bible is telling us that actually joy and freedom is found in lim- embracing our limitations, embracing the rules that God has laid out as the creator of the world. And when we live inside those limits, it's where we actually are led into beauty and yeah. joy and freedom. The the thing I thought of when you were talking about, you know, uh, all things are lawful uh, is is the guy in the great divorce uh, that just wants his rights. I just got so my rights. See, he just go. He just he goes to heaven and he just wants his rights. He yep. just is like, but I. It has to be fair. Yep. I just want. I want to be able to do what I get. What I deserve. It's like I. You know, I've got. I've got freedom. I've got rights, and I. I. Mm. I need to get them. I mm. need to get those rights. And uh, the 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 messenger that's there to to tell him is like. You don't want that. Yeah. You don't want your rights here. Yeah. Um, and, no no and one he, gets them here. <laughs> yeah, he says, and he says, uh, he says, I don't need any bleeding charity. It's my favorite quote in the whole book. He says, I don't need any bleeding charity. Oh, yeah. And the guy says, uh, no, take it. He says, take the bleeding charity, capital B, capital C. Yeah. Uh, and so, and it's it's the same, Lewis is making the same point that Paul is making here, right? Is that we, you can have your rights. You have the right to do whatever you want, right? Mm. Like you can go, you right now, you can go do whatever your heart desires. Uh, you can probably go do it, but is it, is it helpful? Is, mm. is what Paul's saying. Is it actually good for you? Right. And, and that's the thing I think sometimes we fail to evaluate is, is we don't see how these things master us. We don't see how these things devour us uh, because all we see them as is what's what I deserve. Mm-hmm. I deserve to get to go do this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked a hard long day, so I get to drink six beers when I get home. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, and so it's like, that's my right. Mm-hmm. And you don't see how your to- rights, your freedom is actually destroying you. Right. 
God has given us limitations not to suck the fun out of the world yes. and not to hurt us, but to actually lead us into the, joy. The greatest thing we can learn about God's law is that it's not arbitrary. Yeah. Is that it's 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 for our good. It's it's God has set the world in such a way and then showed us, hey, here's how to succeed. Here's how to flourish. Here's yeah. how to have goodness. Here's how to have beauty. Here's how to have joy. Just like a parent who has rules for their kids. They're, yeah. they're not arbitrary. They're for their good. Yeah. And I think that you should explain that to them because it will also help them explain or help them understand, understand. God's law. And, and also, uh, let your nose matter. Yeah. So if mm. you just make up a bunch of rules as a parent that are, aren't are really for anything and they're yeah. dumb, mm-hmm. don't do that. And there are times you need to say no and your nose need to actually matter. Say yes as much as you can. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's – Brett, you're a parent, so you could probably answer this better than I can. But, you know, I think a lot of times we tell kids, uh, you know, it's like don't ask your parents why. Mm-hmm. You know, like if, you, if they tell you not to do something, it's like don't ask me why, which is good. Like I, I – I think kids should not ask their parents why. But if you, if they were to ask you why, and you can't think of a reason for mm-hmm. them to not do that thing, it's like maybe reevaluate the rule. Yeah, yeah, for All sure. Right. Just you should have a why. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean they should always no. get to ask or challenge the why, but you should have one. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a tension there. It's like as kids, you should obey your parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's okay to go. I don't understand this, Dad. Why is this? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Let me explain it to you. And mm-hmm. then once it's explained. Yes, sir. Yeah. Got it. Well, and I also just think this is a Timothy Paul Jones quote, who's written a couple books on family discipleship and things of that nature. But um, he talks about how you as a parent need to understand the difference between sin and stupid. And a lot of the rules and the consequences that we give are often just because we don't like dealing with stupid and Mm. kids will do a lot of stupid things. That's true. Um, But so it's really important to address the sin. So when you see sin in your home, um, whether that is against, you know, other siblings or wh- whatever that looks like. It's like you want to make rules and boundaries around those things to protect your kids from sin and to help them understand that. You don't just want to mm-hmm. no, it's, ign- like punish yeah. the stupid things that they would yeah, do. We don't, you don't get in trouble in our home if you spill a drink. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right, that's an accident. That's, um, but I'll also say back to the why thing. There's a difference in genuinely asking why mm-hmm. and asking why because you actually don't believe them. Yeah, mm-hmm. or doing it out of disobedience. That's what I'm saying. You're yeah. like, why? You just, why, want, why, you just why? want to do the thing. Yeah, yeah. You're really just trying to get out of it. But yeah. If you're genuinely concerned, like, I also think there's a practical reason, right? It's like your kid's running into the street and there's a car coming. You don't want them to stop and ask you why should I? Yeah, yeah. Why should I not run into the street? You obey first, ask why later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's I think that's helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, well, any any other final thoughts about about the body? Uh, Anything about about doing this in our homes with our families, or that's a wrap. We covered I think, it. I up. think we covered it. We covered it up. Well, all right. Thanks for joining us for the recap. We hope this conversation has encouraged you to keep striving to make Jesus essential in every aspect of your life. If you aren't part of our church family, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday morning. We gather for worship at ten thirty a.m. For more information, you can go to myfellowship.church. Thanks for listening. Be blessed.